Can you imagine sitting in the pub chatting with your mates only to be interrupted by ads? Well, unfortunately, that does happen here at the Homebrew Pub because we're just trying to keep the lights on. However, if you would like to support us directly and get access to ad-free episodes of the Homebrew Pub, please head on over to our Patreon. You can find a link to that on our website, thehomebrewpub.com, and join our mug club. Again, our website, thehomebrewpub.com. I'll see you in the pub after the next couple of ads. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Hello and welcome to another episode of the Homebrew Pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is made by a homebrewer. And on this ethereal plane, the Homebrew Pub will turn into the guest brewer's perfect brew pub. So please come in, grab a stool, and grab a pint. This week, joining me in the pub, we actually have, he won't agree that he is, but I'm going to say we have a rock star joining us. We have Chris of the band Beyond Grace. Hi, Chris. Hi. Uh, yeah, uh, you are far too kind. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, um, yeah, you you play guitar in, it's a death metal band, Beyond Grace, and also a homebrewer, which I think is like just the coolest combo of all time. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, I don't think either of them pay the bills, but it's a pretty nice combination. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That is the problem with our hobbies, is that they don't pay the bills. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So, um, how long have you been homebrewing? Um, I've been homebrewing for probably... Uh, I started when I was in undergrad at university, so I did that, Like, but like, it was literally just like getting like one of those can kits of like wort extract yeah. basically and then rehydrating it um but i've been doing kind of like it properly now i would say for probably like uh i think like four or five years or so oh wow um so yeah so, yeah a little while yeah see when i was at university i went to university of lincoln and if i'm correct mm. in remembering you're in nottingham Yes, so not yeah, too right. far away. I was going to say, basically just down the road. Right? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And I wanted to get into home brewing because, you know, cheap student, got no money. And I had no idea where to buy the stuff. We were really lucky because we had, um, there's a real ale society at Nottingham oh. at the University. And basically they ran like a home brew night. Yeah. And it was like, come along, we'll teach you vaguely how to homebrew, and then we'll basically give you, like, a loner kit. So you can just take, like, the fermenter and stuff home and go mad. And, like, I think there was it was something like 20 pairs of people went home with, like, 
beer. Yes. Yeah. And they were just so somewhere in all of these, you know, university halls, there were just 20 lots of beer kits bubbling away, <laughs> unbeknownst <laughs> to the authorities. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So uh, it was, you know, kind of pretty lucky in that regard. But like, um, I don't know whether you remember when you were over here, the, the chain store Wilco's. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Wilco's now have a pretty solid homebrew selection. Oh, awesome. Um, so they do a lot of the kind of like the canned kits and a lot of the wine kits and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like my, um, a lot of my like first bits and bobs that I bought were from Wilco's because yeah. I could just walk into the shop and be like, that's what I need. Um, <laughs> and then as I kind of got more into it, I got friends who were into it. They were like, oh, you need to go to this website. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. That's awesome. So what prompted then the change from kits to what you're doing now? Um, I it's, Honestly, I think it was, I can probably put it down to one book, mm -hmm. which is I bought on a whim a book called Miracle Brew. Uh, yes, by... Pete Brown. Yes. Fantastic yeah. book. I absolutely loved it and it was because it goes through like everything from like the kind of culture around beer to the mm -hmm. history but then touches on like the science of it and how yeah. you make it and I remember reading that book and just being absolutely enthralled by it especially as I'm originally from Burton so there's several sections that kind of like reference my hometown the, the famous like, Burton water yes yeah, yeah. and um so uh, as a result, it was one of those things where I read the book and came away thinking like, sounds like something that I could actually give a go at home. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up doing like a couple of events where like they basically went through and taught you kind of how to do like an extract brew. Yeah. Um, so, you know, chucking some hops and some specialty malts in. Um, and so I kind of like went from basically reading that book to home brewing in the space of a few months really so it's entirely p brown's fault yeah um, i think <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna tag him in, in a tweet just be like it's your fault pete yes yes yeah <laughs> I, I bet you there's a fair few other home brewers or people that are you know big into beer who would just be like yeah it's all p brown's fault yeah his i mean his books are i've got a collection of them and he has this really lovely uh quote and i wish i could remember i did post it um but about the difference between like European slash British hops and American hops. And yes. Yeah, and it's basically like, I can't remember what he described like the British hops as, but almost like a string quartet, whereas like American hops are like a big jazz band just waiting yeah. to show off. And it's just like the loveliest description. Yes, yeah. And it's like each of them has their own like kind of unique like sound and they're all good in their own right, but like there's something really different. I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I know exactly the quote. And I it's, <laughs> it's still sat somewhere half remembered in the back of my head as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just a recommendation and a plug for Pete Brown. Please go check out his books. They're fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so now as you're approaching beer and, and everything, how do you think about like your recipe formulation and, you know, your approach to making beers? Um. It's an interesting one because sometimes, like, when it comes to the initial idea, it almost there's sometimes where it just pops into your head like fully formed. I don't yeah. know whether you have this where you'll just be like, "Oh, I want to brew that style of beer," and then all of a sudden your brain just goes, "You should do that." Yeah. Um, but 
for me, I've like, I found it's funny enough the same with guitar in that sometimes I have like an idea for a riff and it just pops into my head fully formed. I'm like, cool, there it is, brilliant. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time, there's a lot of work involved in doing that. <laughs> and it's the same with like beer recipes. So normally, if I've got an idea for a style that I want to brew, there's a lot of like, I'll go look up some similar recipes, mm -hmm. you know, like, or if I've got a couple of beers that I like that are that style, I'll be like, okay, well, what do they do that I quite like? And can I sort of combine all of them? And um, then there's normally a lot of trawling through homebrew sites being like, well, hops would work quite well in this that yeah. are, you know, readily available and, and that kind of thing. So it's, um, yeah, normally it's a lot of just me set up my computer, like flipping through stuff, <laughs> um, really. Yeah. yeah. Because I know, I know when I started formulating recipes, I, I have a rule of if you change one thing, it's an original recipe. Which, you know, for guitar riffs, probably not a good idea to do. But, you know, uh, who was it? Vanilla Ice found that out the hard way with the yes. Ice Ice Baby baseline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the same time, uh, me and the other guitarists in my band have sort of a saying, which is like, Tony Iommi has written every metal riff known to man. <laughs> He just either wrote it like less complicated or like faster or slower or, you know, in a different key or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think like there's definitely something to be said for like taking, you know, a base recipe that, you know, you like and putting your own stamp on it. You know, yeah. And kind of being like, you know, I like it more this way. So I made it more like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you ever go into like, because I'm, I'm terrible with my adjuncts, like I will take a recipe and be like, I'm going to throw in 20 bags of tea to see what happens. And that's now a brand new recipe. Like, do you go for that kind of extreme or are you like more in the mild, like traditional British mild and, and those kind of beers? Um, I've done a couple of like beers that were a bit more out there. Um, like, so I did, uh, I did a beer, I, I did like a marshmallow and white chocolate stout, like marshmallow and white chocolate milk stout. Um, so that was kind of, you know, like a bit more out there and a bit more weird. Um, but I think especially early on when I first started, I was trying to kind of find twists on recipes a lot of the time or like twists on styles. Mm -hmm. So like the first New England IPA I brewed, um, which, you know, had all the hallmarks of kind of like the first New England IPA that I brewed, mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. So it was like slightly brown. Slightly brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know what might work really well? Like if I was to do kind of like some kind of lime forward New Zealand hops mm. and then put some like freshly grated ginger in it and then make like a really juicy kind of, you know, take on a ginger ale that also happened to be a New England IPA. Ooh. Um, and I think I went the opposite way to what most New England IPAs are in that I put too much ginger in and not enough hops. So you just got ginger. <laughs> so so um, your mouth was just like burning at the end of it. It Well, yeah, thankfully, because it was freshly grated, you didn't get much heat. Yeah. But you just kind of got like that juicy ginger like vibe, if that makes sense. Okay. So, yeah. Is this um, a, a beer over here called Good? Good juju, which is a, I think it's left hand, but that's a ginger beer, and that is fantastic in the cellar. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, it, funnily enough, it was brewed like in the height of summer because I was just like, I really want a really nice, like, <laughs> really nice ginger beer to drink. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So yeah. then, have you? So <clears throat> I came of like beer drinking age. I moved here when I was uh, twenty four, and you know. I came of age in pubs of the days of lager, um, like, you know, the good old lager out. So I didn't really get into uh, a lot of British beers until I started going back um, from visiting here. So do you have a preference between American and, style, uh, American and British style beers? Do you try and brew one over the other or? That's a good question. Um, I think it's, for me, it's odd because they're all sort of mixed together. Yeah. Um, because... I grew up coming from Burton on like really classic traditional style ales. Like yeah. I, I thump, like my 18th birthday, my dad dragged me to a pub <laughs> where the pub was so small. They didn't really have a proper cellar. So yeah. all of the barrels were just like behind the bar. And oh yeah. Served, like, straight from the cask. Mm-hmm. Um, so like on one side, I have like that as kind of my beer history, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then when I really started to get into beer, the beers that I got into were things like um, uh, Weird Beard, who are a brewery over here, um, who kind of were sort of like, I'm generalizing a lot, but they were kind of one of the breweries that really pioneered sort of the American craft beer, like West yeah. Coast IPA thing mm-hmm. um, over here. And at the time, especially when I was in university, for some reason, I don't know how it happened, and I wish that it would happen again. You used to be able to get Stone IPA oh. and Snake Dog IPA in the Tesco's that was literally like <laughs> just down the road from me. Yeah. And so when I was first sort of really getting into craft beer, that was what I kind of ended up drinking, mm-hmm. um, just because it was readily available. So it's kind of weird because when it comes to like darker beers, I'm like. I want kind of like a more of a British sort of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to my IPAs, I'm like, yeah, I want like a really like bitter, like piney West yeah. Coast. Um, like I don't really want kind of like a British style IPA. I want something that's like, you know. Going to kick of... your teeth in a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a nice mix, I think, is the, the correct is the answer to that yeah. yeah no i'm glad you mentioned stone because they were my they were my total gateway here as well um because mm. i remember being at a restaurant with with my wife um and just looking down the beer menu and i see this beer called arrogant bastard and yes. thinking it was hilarious so i ordered it not realizing that it was seven percent and at that point i didn't drink strong beer so i think i had two or three of them at dinner at altitude just absolutely bladdered by the end of it yes. yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely been there before like yeah. I've, I've walked into a bar and been like oh, that looks a good beer I'll have that like and it's a bottle and you can't see the ABV and then it comes and you turn it around and you're like oh I'm probably oh, going to only have shit. <laughs> yeah there's, there's a place here that will serve 10% beers in pints I don't even know how that's legal fantastic brewery um called chaluna but that one of their beers is close to 10 and you get it in a full pint and it's just like i've made the mistake because after like the first you forget it's 10 mm. and you keep going for it and uh, yeah. i have been it's, rolled it's, out of that place 
Yeah, especially if it's like a nice beer and you're just like, yeah, you know what, I'll go for the same again. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic beer. Mm. So, <clears throat> being from Burton then, because over here a lot of people treat their water... Um, because when they're trying to brew those British ales, they, they're really trying to get that buttonized water, which, again, Pete Brown pretty much dedicates a quarter of the book to water in Miracle Brew. Yes, yeah. I mean, that is that is a long chapter. Um, yes. Do you, where you are now, do you have to treat your water to try and get it like button, or is that something you're not really too, too worried about? So, um, I don't do much water treatment just because... Um, uh, I work at the university, um, so I've kind of like bobbled around a lot between different houses. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting like a water report that breaks down, like this is what the water, you know, all of the minerals are and stuff in the water. Um, it's kind of always been one of those things where it's like, I could do that, but I'm probably only going to be here in this property for like a year before <laughs> I then move again. Yeah. So I've never really like bothered to do too much with it. Mm -hmm. Um the one thing that I got told when I started to brew in Nottingham um, that has been an absolute lifesaver is uh, use Camden tablets. Yeah. Uh, because in uh, in Nottingham, we have a lot of chloramine. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously that doesn't boil off. Like chlorine, you can just boil and get rid of it. Um, so I've had no end of like people that have tried home brewing for the first time come up to me and be like, my beer got infected or something. It tastes like TCP. It tastes mm -hmm. really medicinal. Yeah. And it's like Camden tablets, get on it. Like, and it all <laughs> fits all of the words. So yeah, that's, that's the main thing that I do is that. Yeah. Um, and then I do kind of a little bit here and there. Um, I think I'm like, we're quite lucky in that where I am at the minute, um, the, the water profile is quite balanced. Oh, nice. Um, so I can kind of like, I don't have to do mega much to my water. Mm -hmm. Um, but also, uh, I'm a member of a nice little home brew club in Nottingham. Uh, and what they have is a, a RO system. Okay. So if need be, I can just go and like get some nice RO water and then do like whatever water treatment I want to. So that's yeah. awesome. Mm. Yeah. I, I know I've told this story before, but, um, I think it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I brewed two batches of beer for lockdown, thinking it was only going to be a few weeks. And the chloramine just destroyed both batches. And I was absolutely heartbroken. And Denver, we have very good water, but the mm. chloramine is so inconsistent um, that, yeah, I use Camden tablets regardless. And I brewed a beer the other week, and I forgot to put the Camden tablet in. I was like, well, can I put it in during uh, the boil and the everyone's like no it's got to be the water itself yeah. fortunately didn't get infected but you know just that paranoia for like the two weeks while it's fermenting is absolutely awful yeah yeah i definitely yeah we've had i've been to homebrew meetups where like people have brought beer and they've gone like i know exactly what they did what what i did wrong yeah i want you to guess and you kind of like taste the beer and you're like yeah, I know exactly what you've done wrong. Like, yeah, I forgot the camera, you know. Yeah. So. My, my favorite is when people bring the beer thinking they haven't done anything wrong and you're just having to sit there going, mm-hmm. Yes. Is... Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, being in music and brewing beer, like, do you, 
do you ever do beers inspired by the music or does the music and the beer kind of play together or do you just consider them separate entities um it's it's kind of a bit of a mishmash for me because it's more like i i do a lot of stuff outside of my work so i tend to run around like a headless chicken a mm -hmm. lot um and so like on the one hand brewing as a hobby is a bit of a like a godsend for being a music fan because yeah. like you have an hour where you can't really do anything because you're mashing or yeah. like you have an hour where you're waiting for it to boil or mm -hmm. whatever and so for me i'm just like oh i'll get my portable speakers out and i'll listen to that album that i've not had chance to listen to yet and yeah. that kind of thing so like for me i think they're kind of like all entwined in that way like mm -hmm. brewing is my time to sit and catch up on music that i would otherwise miss yeah um but also i think like this is kind of more of a, a general point brewing and like writing music kind of scratches the same itch for mm -hmm. me a bit in that it's like um I'm trying to think how best to describe it it makes me use like the creative bit of my brain and the sciencey bit of my brain. Yeah. So like playing the guitar is kind of cool for me because it's uh, it's a creative enterprise, but fundamentally it's based on like a set of you know rules. Yeah. There's like maths to it almost. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's not hard science, but you know there's like a basis of things that you you know are useful to know mm -hmm. and where i get a lot of my enjoyment from that is playing around with that and you know figuring out what silly things i can do in that sort of framework mm -hmm. um and brewing does kind of a similar thing i guess in that yeah. regard um as to whether i get kind of inspiration from like the music for beers um i think if it is it's kind of like subconsciously yeah like you know like i'll be sat <laughs> listening to something and i'll be like you know oh if this was like a beer it'll be like a black ipa or like you know, yeah a, a red ale or something like that but i i i think i get more inspiration from uh like from other stuff than i do like in terms of beer inspiration yeah anyway from other things really just to go back to our friend Pete Brown, because we are now friends with Pete Brown. We have mentioned him enough. Um, I know he um, he does these talks where he will pair a beer to music. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Have you heard? You've heard about this? Yeah, and I've I've really wanted to go to one for a while, and uh, I've I've never got chance. Um, he's done a couple in Nottingham, yeah. associated with various festivals and things. And then normally the one day that I am busy, um, which, is, <laughs> which is really annoying. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, but I think it's a great idea. Like, yeah, really, really cool idea. Yeah. And and for people who don't know what he what he does is he'll take a beer and he'll say, and I'm gonna budget this, but he might take like an IPA and pair it with like Vivaldi. <laughs> the four seasons and like talk you through the flavors you're getting while listening to the music but then exact same beer and he'll put on like the pixies where is my mind and then talk about how the beer has now shifted with like the music that is playing and you're experiencing and it's yeah. just fascinating because like you know when you're tasting something 
that is like one of your senses, but then listening to something that impacts your other senses and, you know, your emotions. So, you know, I like to, I do like to try and occasionally match my beer to what I am listening to, um, to really like get that full enjoyment. Cause you know, if yeah. I'm, if I'm listening to something, I don't know if I'm listening to the Kinks Village Green Preservation Society, I like to go with something kind of light and fun. Um, yeah. rather than dark and heavy because that's just the mood of the album yeah yeah like and that totally makes sense and i yeah. think like if i've ever kind of had you know kind of a beer where i'm like it's inspired by music mm -hmm. it's it comes a lot from kind of listening to that album or listening to an album while i'm brewing yeah. and i'm just kind of like oh of course like this beer is, has got to be called that because it perfectly <laughs> fits with this song on this album you know yeah. um so yeah like i think it's i think it's a really um an interesting thing in tying like kind of music to beer mm -hmm. um especially like heavy metal because there's a lot of i think like similarities between the attitude and stuff like that around the two yeah um but yeah i mean both i would say both have pretty strong communities yes yeah i definitely agree with that and i think they've kind of got like a there's a real sort of diy attitudes mm -hmm. as well in like to some extent and kind of a uh especially if you talk about the craft beer scene there's kind of a bit of like a you know poking fun for want of a better word at like you know big beer and yeah. that kind of thing um but i think they also value similar stuff as well mm -hmm. like um in terms of you know what you want from a good beer is probably the same thing that i would like in personally from like a good metal album or something that i'm yeah. listening to um if you want to take it to the extreme you could argue like death metal is imperial stout Right, like imperial pastry stout. Like it's, it's never going to be for everyone, but it's not meant to be for everyone. It's yeah. like taking the definition of a thing and then just pushing it all the way as like far as you can go, and being like, it's still that thing. It's just way out there now. Like... <laughs> there's a there's a brewery here called True Brewing, which is pretty much just metal and dark heavy beers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We've got. Um, there's a brewery here in Nottingham called Black Iris. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of their beers are kind of metal themed, but they brought out a black IPA a few years back called Drink Beer Hail Satan, um, <laughs> which is still like one of my favorite beers. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. All right, we're sitting here on the ethereal plane in the, in the mystical homebrew pub, and our tap list is always growing. So, as guest brewer, which beer are you adding to our tap list? Uh, I'm going to add uh, a double black IPA, oh. um, which kind of rolls in about 8.4%, and it was brewed basically smack bang, kind of in the middle, or like just as we were sort of coming out of the first sort of lockdown of the pandemic here yeah. in the UK. Uh, so it got fittingly named by, I think it was one of my friends uh, or one of my family members, I can't remember which. Uh, darkest before the dawn. Oh, nice! So yeah. yeah, and so like, what goes what goes into this black double IPA? Uh, so there's uh, a little bit of Munich malt and a kind of a little bit of Cara Munich malt to give you kind of a little bit of sweetness. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of like one of my favorite things about like a, a 
black IPA as a style is kind of smuggling in malts that you wouldn't normally expect in kind yeah. of like a, an IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, so putting in like some dark crystal malt in the black IPA, I really like. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you this weird dark fruits thing that you wouldn't get normally from like a, an IPA. Yeah. Um, so in this case, I chucked some like uh, rolled oats, I think, in there just to mm. kind of up the body a bit and give it kind of like a smoother mouthfeel. Uh, and then there's um, Carafa Free and uh, Midnight Wheat. Okay. So, yeah, kind of like to get that like roasty feel without too much like astringency. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of, sorry, go on. No, 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 no. Please, please continue. I, I, I my question we can wait. Um, and then for the hops, it's like a lot of kind of like classics. Um, and then kind of like one little kind of New Zealand twist because mm-hmm. I find the black IPAs I like tend to either go one of two ways and that's kind of like really piney and mm-hmm. kind of like, or like oddly dark fruits-esque <laughs> um, or like chocolate orange. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a New Zealand hop in it called Eclipse, mm-hmm. which is basically just billed as like orange and pine. Um, and so I remember finding it like scrolling through a homebrew site and just being like that sounds perfect in the black IPA yeah um, so there's that uh, Vic Secret and then Simcoe and Chinook to just kind of like double down on the kind of like <sighs> I love Chinook pine. it's such a good hop such like, a good hop yeah <clears throat> so with the with with the black IPA like how do you avoid well I suppose the first question is what's the difference between making it an IPA and like a stout or a porter if it's black? I think for me, it's sort of the, the balance. So for me, like a, a porter, you kind of want to lean slightly more on the malt mm-hmm. side. So like it's where it gets weird is when you're talking about like your kind of export India porters or your like American porters where they kind of like blur the line a bit. Yeah. But for me, with a black IPA, I want, like, hops up the front, like, whacking you across the face. (laughs) And then, like, a really, like, roasty sort of middle. Mm -hmm. And then, like, a really bitter, piney finish. Yeah. It's kind of, like, my ideal with a black IPA. Whereas, like, with, you know, kind of a porter, you'd probably get a nice blend of hops and malt. Yeah. And then probably not as bitter a finish, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, because so. I mean, with a porter, the malt would absolutely be at the forefront, and then the hops are just kind of sitting there in the background, just lending support. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's a perfect way of describing it, I yeah. guess. Like with we go, we're going to go back to the the music analogies again. Yeah, with a black IPA, the hops are your headline act, <laughs> and with a porter, your your malts are the headline acts, right? Like, so then with the um with, with the black ipa because when you're adding uh dark roasted malts they can especially if you do the entire 60 minute mash with them they can offer a bit of astringency are yeah. you because of the amounts you're using do you avoid that astringency or are you adding them in the in like the sparge of the last 10 minutes of the mash to impart that color it's so in this case it's I specifically picked Midnight Wheat and Carafa and only like relatively small quantities of them. I think they're like 3% or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was because 
both of them are like debitted. So yeah. they've had like their husks and stuff removed so that you get kind of like more of a smooth roast. Oh. Um so like midnight wheat especially I've had used in a few black IPAs and it's really, really good. Yeah. Um my this is it's a bit of an older recipe this one, but it still works well. My favourite trick for a black IPA at the minute is roughly like five percent midnight mm -hmm. wheat. Have that in the mash. Uh and then take like one maybe two percent of like a black malt sprinkle that on top and then sparge through oh, okay um and it's just a nice way of like keeping your runnings from your sparge dark yeah so you're not so you're not diluting the color at all um but you're not getting like the really nasty kind of astringency from your black malt basically. yeah yeah because i'm i've been i've been toying with black malt recently and just trying to figure out how to avoid that astringency because I've had beers where very good but like just a little too roasty for what I was going for so yeah. um yeah I'm tempting to I just did one where did the exact sparge model that you're talking about um but I was talking to my friend last night I was like yeah it's got a pound of black um uh black uh malt in it and he's like that's an awful lot for a five gallon batch I was like yeah I might yeah. halve that going forwards <laughs> the other trick that i learned recently as well is um flip the water profile okay. so rather than for like a i'm, I'm going to get into like water chemistry I'm go for sorry. it <laughs> um but for like a, a more kind of like a west coast ipa you'd go like sulfate heavy yeah um and the other what i've heard the argument for a black IPA is like you get already getting a lot of bitterness from those malts mm -hmm. so actually do it more like make the water profile more like you're doing a porter or yeah. like a, a smooth stout so make it more chloride heavy and then you'll kind of like round off the edges a bit more oh. okay so yeah I'm going to have to do water chemistry one of these days I always talk about it but I'm like it just scares me <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> I I spoke to a brewer uh, a while back, and he was saying he's he's read through. You know, there's like the big giant water textbook. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, it's I like, I know which one you mean. Like everything about water or something. Yeah, yeah, he was like, I have read through that cover to cover twice, and I still don't understand water chemistry. <laughs> um, and he was like, and I have a degree in chemistry. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's good, good information to know. So going from oh, actually, first I should say, uh, Chris has very kindly shared the recipe uh, for the, and remind me of the name because it was awesome. Uh, Darkest before the dawn. Thank you. Uh, so that is in the show notes. So please brew and drink along with us. Um, but going from the beer you're adding to the tap list, what was the worst beer like? What was the beer where you were like? I don't know what I was thinking of trying this. It's it's interesting because I don't think I've ever had a beer that was so bad it got drain poured. Yeah. Um, what I did have was not too long ago I had the most cataclysmic brew day I've ever had. <laughs> um, so like I'm I'll, I'll happily share that please, story. Please, probably... I love a good cataclysmic uh, brew day. Um. I it had been ages since I'd brewed, um, and because I'd been I'd moved and I'd been super busy, um, and I finally got around to brewing, and I was like, I'll do it like a, a nice simple recipe. Yeah, 
Um, so it was pretty malt heavy. I think I was funnily enough brewing a, my housemate really likes his dark lagers. Mm -hmm. So I was brewing a, a Kentucky common cause I hadn't got any like, um, uh, temperature control at that point. Yeah. So I was like, I'll brew like a pseudo Kentucky common and I'll use some fake yeast in it. Mm. Um, and so it was like really malt heavy, hardly any hop additions. What could possibly go wrong? I thought. Um, so I heat up my water for the mash, and I, because I haven't brewed in a while, I was like, I'll check it with my regular thermometer. Put that in, and it tells me it's about ten degrees lower than, like, the temperature probe on, the hot liquor tank is telling me. Oh. So, I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> so I adjust that, get that reasonably right, mash in. And it's still, it's like 10 degrees lower than the temperature I was aiming for. Yeah. So I was aiming for like 67 and it's like 60. Yeah. So I chuck like a whole load of kettles worth of boiling <laughs> water in there. I've done this. Get it up to like 65 and I'm like, okay, brilliant. Like that's, that's okay. I'll, I'll not stress about that anymore. Screw it all up. Yeah. And so I spend the next hour it's mashing trying to fix the thermometer on my hot liquor tank because that's also i also boil in it right yeah and so i think i get that dialed in i pour it all it like i get it all in there boil it all up and i'm like okay i don't know what went wrong there but i'm away now and then it got to the stage where i was cooling and i was checking the temperature with the thermometer and i was like there's no way that's right mm-hmm like I was just looking at it and I was like, this beer has like been cooling for like 10 minutes and it's like saying it's like 70, 60 degrees. That's not right. Yeah. And so I took the thermometer out and I wiped it all down and I left it on the side for a bit. I came back to it and it was at room temperature and it was reading 10 degrees. <laughs> and it gets, it gets cold in the UK, but at this stage I'm wearing shorts and, it's off <laughs> and I'm like... That's not right. That's that's just a bit off. Yeah, so what it was was the thermometer that I was using to check everything because I hadn't brewed for so long was a full 10 degrees out oh, no. from what it should have been. Yeah. So when I mashed in, I actually mashed in aiming for, you know, 65, <laughs> 67, probably more like 70 plus. I was going to say you're 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 shocking your green at that point, but uh... Yeah. <laughs> um somehow and it's a testament to to the yeast like Faker's a yeast as it turns out absolute monster yeah somehow managed to ferment this thing down to like that i'd mashed at a good 72 plus degrees mm -hmm. somehow it managed to ferment it down to 1.025 oh wow i think um so I just about managed to get a 4% beer out of this thing. <laughs> and it was like, it was so sweet. It oh, was sure. like, it was like <laughs> milked out levels of sweet. As it turns out, not too bad as a beer, really. Not unpleasant, but not what you were going for. <laughs> yeah, it was, oh, I just remember like making the revelation that it was thermometer that i trusted to be the more accurate one that was yeah. just entirely out i'm just literally standing there for like 10 minutes like oh my god <laughs> um, 
I mean, what I, I was just like, is he going accidentally into Fahrenheit? Is this what the issue is? <laughs> but... Yeah, no, it's, yeah, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was everything I was reading off in Celsius, it was just my thermometer was just wrong. Oh, that's so funny. many levels. Yeah. And, and it's crazy because I think, like, that is probably one of the most overlooked pieces of equipment that homebrew has yeah. used is the thermometer because we just take it as read that this is going to be right exactly like it was the <laughs> one piece of my brew kit that i never expected to betray me <laughs> yeah i uh i used to use a meat thermometer like a digital meat thermometer i was like all right mm. that should always hopefully be right and uh yeah that one that one was always because i got through so many of the i'm assuming you're using the uh you know the long uh prod with the the circular head on top readout yes. yeah i got through so many of those trying to adjust them and i just screwed up too many beers it's like i'm going with technology now yes. so yeah this is this is funny enough now exactly why i've done i'm gonna <laughs> buy a really good really reliable thermometer and i don't have to worry about it every day. i tried using um a laser thermometer um, like they use in construction on my water because a lot mm. of people are like, oh, that's what I, I could never get it accurate. Like, you've got to hold it at the perfect area above the pot, yeah. but not have your flame on. And I was just like, I'm just not going to worry about this now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's also like the problem with those is if you're reading the temperature on the surface, maybe you're not reading the temperature for below. As well, yeah. Like, but... Yeah, I, I I don't know if it's going to be useful. Yeah, I mean, if if it works for you, it works for you. But that that that's the beauty of homebrewing. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think it's just like part of the reason why I've not upgraded my kit for a while. Mm -hmm. And it's like after four plus years, I'm finally getting to the point where I'm like, maybe I should upgrade my kit. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if it's not broken, then don't fix it. Yeah. Like, I know what my efficiencies are going to be. I know, you know, kind of like roughly like the temperature differences between things and i know mm. how much temperature i'm going to lose when i mash in and that kind of thing so it's like it it works and i know how it works yeah. so you know i'm sort of like yeah sort of against really changing it too much at this stage so. i mean to to bring it to music a little bit though it's kind of like your guitar because i mean my mm. guitars i know how i'm going to sound on my guitars and uh I enjoy them and they're fun, but if I play someone else's, there's going to be bum notes because there's just things that I don't understand happening that yes. I can't quite get right on someone else's guitar. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly that. And it's like, um, it's all sort of personal preference. Yeah. Like I say, especially with guitars, and it's the same with like brewing equipment because mm -hmm. I know I've got a lot of people, like friends who uh, own those kind of like one all in one mm -hmm. yeah. systems. I've heard like great things about them, like really, really good. But at the same time, I'm like, somehow I'm like, I actually kind of, I like the kind of more free vessel esque system that yeah. I've got right now because it's like, it feels a bit more flexible mm -hmm. to me. Um, you know, it feels like if something goes cataclysmically wrong, there's more ways that I could probably try and save it. <laughs> than than the other thing, I had because yeah. I mean I I switched to an all-in-one system and I love it, but I will tell you the learning curve of that from going from a very manual three-vessel system to 
this beautiful all-in-one and should be just like press a button and it does things and I'm like I screwed up so many like I scorched the bottom um because I didn't know what I was doing on the first time I got the pump yeah. clogged like yeah it's it's a learning curve of what you've got to figure out to be successful on those things this is also kind of what terrifies me you know? <laughs> I, I look at it and I'm like I have no idea how this like in principle I know how it works but like there's so many buttons that I'm just like I don't yeah I'm, I'm just gonna stay away <laughs> yeah, yeah no I I resisted for a long time as we sit here in in the mystical pub what is the pub gonna turn into for you and what's it gonna be called taking inspiration from Nottingham <laughs> uh Nottingham is a city that's actually built on I think it's sandstone um think? so there's yeah there's like caves everywhere mm -hmm. in Nottingham to the point where there are several pubs that have like their cellars are caves that were like dug out years ago and there's uh, a couple of kind of the more famous pubs in Nottingham have sections that are just caves yeah um so i think for me it's it's like if i'm if it's if it's in like something which is anywhere similar to Nottingham it's got to be part of it it's got to be in a cave yeah uh, you know, and like have a nice, just the right amount of lighting so it's nice and cozy and, you know, mm -hmm. inviting. Um, and kind of harking back to the first sort of pubs that I uh, I used to um, go to uh, when I was first starting to get into beer. They were all kind of small and cozy. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I really like about that is that there's like, if you go there with four friends, there's enough room for you to sit around a table and like chat to just your four friends. Yeah. But you're close enough to everyone else such that like there's this almost brilliant moment where like your four friends then end up becoming like ten friends. <laughs> yes. Like, I love those nights. Yeah. So like I want a pub that kind of makes that happen. So yeah. like, you know, a nice mix of kind of like tables that are small enough to get like you know, a group of friends around but are close enough to another table such that you kind of, you know, you make all these interactions happen. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, the thing, like, the kind of the art style I really like um, or the aesthetic that I really like is kind of like anything that has a bit of a Mad Max vibe. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, like, anything which is kind of like, uh, like, rusty or like, Kind of like post-industrial, post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. stuff. So <laughs> I like yeah. how you go from inviting, everyone's friendly, to the apocalypse. The apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Just ticking all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And what yeah. would it be called? I honestly don't know. This is the problem. Um, like. If you if you're going with the apocalypse theme, uh, maybe something like the the ill-fated brew pub, uh, <laughs> or something like that. Like, yeah. Um, but I'm terrible with names. Uh, normally, yeah. it's sort of like I'm struggling for even a beer name. It's like, <laughs> help me, friends. You know? <laughs> I've gotten really bad at naming my beers. I used to name all of them, and now I'm just like, it's the Hellas. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely a lot easier. Just like that one, that one's just the IPA. Or, yeah, you know, <laughs> no. I, uh, I I've gone through a phase with my latest housemate of just like naming them silly names, like as in just people's names. So like, I like we've it. got one at the we've got one at the minute which is just called Timmy. 
So it's just like, you know, yeah, I'll have a pint of Timmy. <laughs> Don't let Timothy Taylor find out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not that big into beer. So I was like, when you first said, why don't we call it this? I was like, wait, do you mean like... Landlord or... Landlord? Or... Yeah. Well, everyone, please come and join me and Chris down at what I'm going to call the ill-fated brew pub, uh, because there is nothing better than going to a pub where you start out with three friends and end up with ten. Those are always the funnest nights, so please come and grab a couple of Darkness Before the Dawns and just have a wonderful chin wag with all of us. It's the way forward. Making friends in pubs needs to, needs to make a comeback. It's the British way. Yeah, yeah. huge thank you to chris for coming on uh if you like your music loud please do go and check out his band beyond grace and of course please check out the recipe in the show notes and brew a drink along with us and of course thank you so much for listening if you could leave us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcast that'll just help other people find the show if you want to reach out to us possibly come on and share a pint with me you can reach us at our website thehomebrewpub.com or email landlord at thehomebrewpub.com or on social at thehomebrewpub on instagram and twitter And if, like me, you hate those annoying ads, well, we've got to keep the lights on here at the Homebrew Pub somehow. So consider joining our Patreon and becoming a Mug Club member. For $3 a month, you'll get access to ad-free versions of the episodes. But until then, grab your favorite pint, put your feet up, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew. Till next time, cheers. Cheers.